the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto the ages of all ages, amen. So here we are um, on the summary week of our series on money. Um, so what better title for it than to call it the bottom line. So what's at the bottom line? This has been the story so far. We talked about how we put our money where our heart is. And God cares a lot about where we put our money, not because He cares so much about our money, but because He cares about our hearts. In Proverbs, it says, My son, give me your heart. It doesn't say give me your money. It says give me your heart. But then, at least a third of the commandments in the Bible, in the Gospels by Jesus, are about money. A quarter of the parables in the New Testament that Jesus says are about money. Jesus seems to be very concerned about money. He's concerned about money because we're not concerned about money. Because we're actually not super concerned about where our hearts are. And God wants you and I to put a new focus on our hearts. And know that the barometer, the thermometer, the test for where our hearts are has very much to do with where our money is. Number two, we talked about how... We are God's money managers. The whole earth belongs to the Lord. Every last bit of it, every speck of gold and every speck of garbage, every last bit of it belongs to the Lord, right? And so the money that is in my, happens to be in my hands right now, in my pocket, in my wallet, in my bank account, in my whatever, doesn't belong to me. It's been entrusted to me for a purpose. And I'm just simply God's money manager. Right, And I need to know what I'm doing with that money. And it was in week two that we talked about budgeting. And we talked about how I, I, can't, I can't have some like faint idea of what God is doing with the money. I need to know very clearly. Um, I need to know very clearly what I'm doing, um, what I'm doing with, God's, uh, with God's money. In the third week, um, we talked about how if I want to be able to be free to do what God wants me to do, with his money, I need, um, I need to get out of debt, right? And we talked about very specific strategies about how to get rid of um, all your debt, at least any, any debt that you have that is half of your gross income, um, how, to get, um, how to get rid of that. And then um, la the fourth week, we talked about how giving is the greatest joy in the world. The greatest joy that we have is the joy of giving. When, why do we enjoy, um, if you have children, why do we enjoy our children so much? Because we constantly have to give them. They, they, they just take. All they do is take and take and take. But we love it, right? Um, it sounds like they're leeches or parasites or something. But the reality is, is it's not. We, we, we love to give them. Um, and it's the greatest joy in the world is giving, right? And so we have to kind of keep that in, well in perspective. And we're going to talk a tiny little bit more about that today. Last week we talked about being rich. Um, and we talked about how being rich is not something which is um, against the gospel or against the teachings of Jesus. Jesus loves the poor, absolutely. And he loves the rich too, especially when the rich look out for the poor. But looking out for the poor, guess what? Costs money, 
right? So if you have the capacity to earn $300,000 a year, don't be lazy and say, oh, I'm happy to live with my $20,000. No, go out there and earn your $300,000. If you want to live on $20,000 alone, that's great. Give me the other $280,000. Just kidding. Give it to the church. Give it to the poor. Give it to those who are in need, right? And all the good things that we want to do oftentimes cost money. Um, and so there's nothing wrong with working hard, earning a lot, and using that for the glory of God. But what are we really after? Are we really after money? Is, 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 it, is, is it money that keeps us up at night? It might be, but there's something deeper than money. There's something deeper than money. Each of us who feels like we wish we had more money, or we wish we knew what to do with our money, or this or that, or we wish we had money so that we could do, so we could worry about what to do with it, each of us is really seeking after something else. All of us are seeking after happiness, right? So today, we're talking about the real bottom line. The real bottom line is our happiness. And there is definitely a relationship between money and happiness. And the two are not so unrelated. A lot of today's talk is inspired by the series that Andy Stanley did on being happy. Look it up, Andy Stanley, Happy Money, and you'll find the talk that I'm kind of referencing throughout. You know me, I give credit wherever I get my, wherever I get the majority of my sources are oftentimes I use one thing to kind of structure uh, uh, my talk and then take stuff from all over the place. So that's where the structure for this talk came about. So I want to ask you a question. How much money would you need to be happy? Now you all are smart people and you know you're talking to a priest and you know he's going to say, there's no amount of money that can make me happy. That's true. But certainly, certainly there is a relationship between money and happiness. If you had no money, would you be happy? Probably not. Right? Because you'd have all these bills to pay and you'd have all these things you have to do and you wouldn't be able to do any of them. Now, if you had more money than you had right now, would you be happy? Now the answer to this question, how much money do you need to be happy, is the same, is actually the same for every single person in this room. And the answer that every single one of us is saying, somehow in our minds, maybe or maybe you're saying it, maybe you're not, I think most of us are saying this answer. The answer that we're all saying is one word, and that is more, right? It's more than what I have right now, right? And so, you know, if you, uh, you know, earn half a million dollars a year, you still would like more because you'd like to do more. And if you, you know, get, you know, $20,000 a year, you would also like more because you'd like to do more. The reality is, it's normal in our society today and what society tells us and what we sort of live with is if only I had more, I would be happier. There is definitely a relationship between money and happiness, but that relationship is not more. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The relationship is not more. Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In older versions, I specifically picked an older version here. It says, you cannot serve God and mammon. New versions use the word money instead, because what's mammon? Well, nobody knows what mammon is. I Google imaged mammon, and I got all these images of demons, I guess 
uh, I guess uh, Milton, uh, uh, you know, a, a famous dude in literature, you know, c- you know, called a demon Mammon. And I bet you there is a demon out there whose name is Mammon, right? But what is Mammon? Mammon isn't just money. Money is just part of mammon. Mammon is money, and all the stuff you want to do with that money, and all the stuff you would buy if you had more money, and the stuff you already bought with the money, and all the bills that you paid with the money, and all the services you get from the money, all that stuff is mammon. I would say a better translation than you cannot serve God and mammon would be you cannot serve God and stuff. All the stuff. And the reality is, the more stuff we have in our lives, the more we spend our lives serving the stuff. When I was uh, um, just like, you know, adolescent, you know, I was 11, 12, I desperately wanted to get a scooter, right? And in Quebec, where I grew up, Montreal, you could uh, get a scooter when you were, you could get a scooter license when you were 14, like a motorized scooter, a gas, you know, gasoline scooter, right? like a little Vespa or whatever. And so I, I got a job and I started saving from when I was 11 years old to save up money so I could buy a Vespa so I could be free once and for all from my parents and from life and from everything and just be free to do whatever I want so long as I didn't need to take the highway. And I saved up money and this and that and I had more than enough money to get the Vespa. And my dad told me, you don't know what you're getting yourself into? You don't know what you're getting yourself into? And he managed somehow, I don't know, my dad's a really smart man to talk me out of it, um, by somehow promising me that he'd help me get a car if I waited till I was 16. So he's of course scared to death of what I like, killed myself on the scooter. So here I am, I turn 16, I get my license the day I turn 16, right? And, um, and my parent, my dad makes a deal with me, he says, I'm going to give you your mom's old car, we'll get her a new car, or whatever, another car. And, uh, but you have to take care of the car, okay? You have to pay the gas. I give you the car. Let's take all the money you're going to save for the scooter and the car, put it towards the costs of the car. I'm like, what cost of the car? You just get in the car, you put the key in and everything, right? And it just works, right? Like, that's what happens, right? No, right? Little did I know that once I got the car, I got a whole load of responsibility. And if you get a really old car, you get a lot more responsibility than my mom who got the new car, right? And here, here I was paying for gas and oil changes and repairs and tires and, and all of this stuff, right? That I would have been happy to pay for, but he wanted me to realize that the more stuff you have, the more responsibility you have. And this whole series is about, do I possess the money or does the money possess me, right? And all of a sudden, I found my life revolving around keeping this car, you know, working, The more stuff you have, the more you end up serving it. And then, when you get stuff, you're not happy with this stuff, because there's a new stuff, right? And now I have an iPhone 6, but there's an iPhone 6S out there, and there's a 7, and there's another version, and there's version 2.0, and there's the new and improved, right? And And that's how we work. My life almost came to an end. You know, like Andy Stanley tells this story, and it's hilarious, because... I lived the exact same story, I promise you. He tells the story, but I'm telling you the story and it's my story. It happened to me too. Mary says to me while we're furniture shopping, 
let's play go to this place called Restoration Hardware. I'm like, great. They're going to help us to take old furniture and make it new. Sounds great. This shouldn't cost us anything. And you walk in there, and there's all this really old furniture for way more than I could sell my really old furniture for. An extremely expensive furniture store. And then you walk out of there thinking to yourself, wow, that stuff was really nice. I can't really afford it. And for the rest of everything you see for the rest of your furniture shopping, all you do is compare it to the really nice, super expensive $12,000 dining table. And you tell yourself, but it's not that one. And this one, but it's not that one. And, but, and you see this one, but it's not that one. Right? And the point that Andy Stanley makes, right? And I, didn't, I wasn't smart enough to realize this. I only realized that restoration hardware made me miserable. Right? But the point he makes is that awareness is what leads us to discontentment. Had I never walked into that store, I would have never been discontent. Discontentment comes from awareness, right? So I learned this the first time I bought like a, like a, like a ghetto blaster thing, you know, like a CD player and whatever, right? The first time I bought one of those, right? I, uh, I did all this research and whatever, and I went out and I bought one. And I was so happy with the one I bought. And then you get into this habit of shopping, right? And so you continue shopping after you've made the purchase. Don't do that. Because what automatically happens afterwards? Buyer's remorse, right? You see something that's different for a different price, for cheaper or slightly more expensive, but it has more features, but it has more of this, and you regret. And all the joy that would have been associated with this new thing you just acquired is stolen from you because of awareness. So there's something to be said for putting on my blinders and sort of allowing myself only to be aware of the things that I really want to be aware of. Discontentment is always rooted in awareness and guess what? In greed. And I bet you when I say the word greed, every one of us says, yeah, uh, the guy next to me, the person in front of me, but not me, I'm not a greedy person. I'm nice, I give stuff to people, I always put other people first and all of that. Greed cannot be seen in the mirror. Greed is always something else. But a very simple definition of greed, Jesus' definition of greed is very simply this. Jesus doesn't use the exact words, but I'm summarizing several parables in a very simple statement. Greed is the assumption of consumption. It is the assumption that everything that is in my hands is for me to consume. Everything that comes to me is for me. That's what greed really is. Right? It is the assumption of consumption. And what it leads to is, it leads to me wanting to buy more stuff. Right? And as we talked before, the more stuff that I buy, the more I end up serving the stuff. Right? All of this has one third last best friend. There's a, a third musketeer uh, in the story, right? Because I buy stuff and only in the, in the first world is this possible, that the more money you make, the more you can buy stuff, right? The more money you make, the more you can borrow. Try explaining that, Andy Stanley says, to people in the third world. The more money you have, the more access you have to money. Like it's nuts, right? And so, the more money you have, the more you can borrow to buy more stuff. And what does that lead to? That leads, that leads to debt, right? And then so you end up with more stuff and more spending and more debt. And you end up with these, these, this trio of happiness, right? Discontentment, greed, and debt. 
Sounds great, hey? That's what I always wanted for Christmas, right? Discontentment, greed, and debt. What's the cure? The cure is very simple. It's all, this is a summary talk of all the stuff we've been talking about for the last five weeks. Just said in different words. The cure is very, very simple. And the cure leads to happiness every step of the way. Every one of the steps turns your discontentment into happiness. Your greed into happiness. Your debt into happiness. Mine as well, of course. Right? Discontentment. The cure for discontentment is gratitude. The cure for being upset about what I don't have is looking at what I do have and giving thanks for it, right? And that's what St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God, right? So the more we are grateful, the more we realize what we actually have. To be grateful, I need to take my eyes off of what I don't have out there, what's out there, and put my eyes on what I actually do have. And all of a sudden, I realize, hey, what I have is not so bad. So, um, and I know I'm not telling any, any of uh, you all some things you didn't know, right? We're just putting the same stuff we've been talking about for, for the last month in different terms. The solution to greed is the exact opposite, is giving. St. Paul says in Acts 20, he says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The solution to my greed, the solution to my consuming, 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 until I consume myself in my consuming, is to stop and to reverse it, rather than to take it and make it for myself, to give it to others. And there's nothing that gives us more joy in the world than giving to others. And, the, and lastly, the solution... Sorry, just acting up here. The, the, the solution um, to debt is self-control. Andy Stanley says this lovely line. I've been saying it ever since, uh, ever since I heard it from him several months ago. He says, we all, we all suffer from discontentment. We all see things, whether we meant to, whether we go shopping and we go looking and we go searching for things that I don't have, that I can't buy, or whether I mind my own business. It doesn't matter, right? Whatever I do, either way, I'm always going to see something new that I don't have, that I wish I had, right? And that stinks. It stinks to want something and not to be able to have it, right? So for those people who have like a decent credit record, this and that, you have an option. You can borrow. And when you borrow, you can go and get the thing that you wanted, right? Yes, but you traded I want for what? I owe. And guess what? I owe stinks a lot more than I want. Right? So every time I'm tempted to get myself back into debt, I just say that one sentence to myself. I tell myself, I want is better than I owe. Like I owe money, like I'm in debt. So I want is better than I owe. I know it stinks for me to want something and not to be able to have it, but it's even worse to owe. And we talked about a lot about debt, and we talked about how God feels about debt, and we talked what Proverbs says about debt, that the, the debtor is slave to the master. This is the word of God. God himself is saying, if you owe, 
You have to pay up. If you're a Jesus follower, if you follow Jesus, Jesus is saying, if you owe something, you have to pay it back. He'll help, he may help you, but you have to pay it back. So there's no option of, of, um, of remaining in debt or, or magically getting the debt miraculously canceled. The solution to debt is self-control. It starts before all of it. Gratitude, giving, and self-control. These are the things that lead us to happiness, not more money. Proverbs says, Better is a patient person than a warrior and one with self-control than one who takes a city. Better to, better to have, be in control of myself, to be in control of my spending, to be in control of my desires, to be in control of my words, than to be the ruler of a city. Interesting little tidbit. 70% of people who win the lottery or get some major windfall, it's a major amount of, of, of money uh, you know, that comes to them, end up broke within a few years, says the National Endowment for Financial Education. 70%. Everything we've been talking about here has been about our behavior with money. The issue isn't how much money or how little money I have. The issue is what are my behaviors with it, and that speaks tons. Giving, gratitude, and self-control. That's what's going to lead me to my happiness. Last and like and final tidbit. The last, my last tidbit on money. Probably, and I saved the best for last. This is probably the best thing, the best thing anyone ever said to me. One of my co Sunday school servants was really into this stuff. Maybe about. 15 years ago or so. And he told me this very simple phrase, pay God first, pay yourself second, pay others last. Right? So what does that mean? It means pay God first means whatever it is that you want to give to God. Right? Give, give that to God first before anything happens. You know, when you first get your paycheck, when you first get whatever money is bequeathed to you and that tax return first comes in, when whatever, right? Give that... Um, give whatever it is that you wish to give to God, um, to God. And then you, in the budgeting forums we kind of talked about in session two, you notice that charity and gifts and offerings is up here. I would add to that, and I mentioned this in previous talks, I would add to that not only the money that you want to give, I don't know, to God or to the church or whatever, but all gifts. I would put them all in that one category. Christmas gifts, birthday gifts, baptism gifts, I don't know, gifts for whatever gift, whatever is coming up. Look at the year coming ahead and budget and tell yourself, this is how much money I want to have available to give, right? It's been a challenge, but our household, we're trying to develop this this desire, not, this, not to develop the desire, but to develop the capacity to be able to give. We all want to give, but then we look at our pockets and we find nothing in there and we find it difficult. So we can budget for that. Pay, pay God first. Put your gifts first. Determine what you want to give um, and, and do that first. The second thing was pay yourself second. What does that mean? What are your financial goals? If you have to ask yourself, what do I want by the end of 2017? I want to be out of debt. I want to have X number of dollars in the bank as an emergency fund. I want to increase my investing in my RSPs up to 15% of my household income. I want whatever it is. What are your financial goals? Make that your second target, okay? That's the second category, right? What do I have to do to reach my financial goals? 
pay others last. Who are the others in my life? The others in my life are Rogers, uh, Toronto Hydro, Enbridge. Those are the others, right? And guess what? I want to tell you something. There was life before Rogers. So if I have to give up my cell phone for three, three months or four months so that I can you know, achieve my financial goals for this year, do it. I, pro I promise you, the day I forget my phone at home is the most peaceful day of my life, right? Give up, if you have to give up your phone for a month, give up your phone for, if you have to give up Net Netflix for a month, if you have to give up all of these things. And we think to ourselves, well, I could never give this up. The reality is, none of these things are essential. You know, they are, they seem to us to be essential because they've become part of our lifestyle, right? But I can change that. I can change that for a short period of time so that I can achieve my goals. Pay God first. Pay yourself second. What are your goals? Save this, pay this off, do what? Those Put those things in, sec in second place and everybody else comes afterwards. If that means that I have to get rid of this or get rid of that, if that means I have to sell a car, if that means, then so be it. I'll sell the car, right? And I'll buy another one later when things are better. And that, um, that is probably the most simple and practical advice I can tell you. For just one moment as we wrap up now, I'll call the worship team back up here, and I want us all to just close our eyes, bow our heads for a moment, and imagine what peace and happiness in regards to money and one's finances would be. For some of us, we'll imagine being out of debt. We'll imagine not getting any more harassing letters in the mail or phone calls asking us for money. For others, we'll have security or certainty of some description for ourselves or for our children or for whatever it may be. For each person, it's different. Imagine to yourself, what would peace in regards to money be? And know that our Lord Jesus Christ is the King of peace and he desires to give you that peace and he desires to collaborate with you, to work with you to make that peace happen. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.